Uh, there are some books which are easy to read and understand, others which are more difficult. When I lived in India, I came across a very difficult book to understand. It wasn't written in Sanskrit or in fact in any Indian language. It was written in English. And it was a timetable for Indian railways. You need at least a university degree to understand this volume, preferably one in maths or theology maybe. But even after you've understood all of it, you still have to allow in India for the vagaries of the system. In fact, the ultimate question by which governments in India used to be judged, and I guess they probably still are, is do the trains run on time? Of course, it's not that important unless you want to travel by a train, which I've done on many occasions in India and for many long hours. But it's a matter of extreme importance to understand the divine timetable, the timetable God has set for human history if we are not to miss the train or worse. Now, the people of Israel, God's chosen people, were very aware of this fact. They knew that there was a divine timetable in place. Why? Because the prophets that God had sent had told them all about the events that were going to happen in the future. The Lord God, the great, the great controller, had revealed it through his spokesman. And this spokesman had foretold special events which would happen at the end. And they had a term for them. They were called the times and the seasons, or the times and the dates, which would culminate in the day when God would finally save his people, Israel, and usher in his universal kingdom of peace on earth. And after the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles he had chosen had at last come to understand the significance of the momentous times in which they were living. As over a period of 40 days, we read in verse 3 of Acts 1, he met with them and spoke about the kingdom of God. So it's entirely understandable that they should jump to the conclusion that things were now nearing their conclusion. That the last great and glorious day of the Lord, as the timetable described it, was about to arrive. That the train of human history was reaching now its final destination. And so this was the reason for the final question which they asked the teacher at the end of this six-week Bible school. It was about the end. Acts 1.6 So when they met together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now notice carefully the answer that Jesus gave. Not about the end, but it's about the ends of the earth. He said to them, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times and dates. The Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells the apostle that their question concerns things that need not concern them. Only the Father knows these things, not even the Son, said Jesus on a previous occasion. This is not a subject upon which they will be examined. But there is a matter which should concern them. One upon which they will be judged. Each of them and each of us, if we are genuine followers of Jesus, are to be spirit-empowered witnesses for Jesus throughout the world to the ends of the earth. 
Now, that is our fifth and final purpose in this 40 days of purpose. Evangelism, you were made for a mission. And this purpose, this mission, is framed between two other events in human history, which act like kind of bookends. One is the ascension of Jesus from earth to heaven. The other end, the other bookend, is the return of Jesus from heaven to earth. And it's within this framework that we need to understand where we fit and how we fulfill our purpose. So look with me very briefly, and we'll keep to time this evening, don't worry about the clock. Let's look at the three stages in the divine timetable which Luke describes in these opening verses of his second volume of the story of Jesus, which we've read together in Acts 1, 1 to 11. Very simply, here they are. Here's the first stage in the timetable. Jesus must go, the Spirit will come. Jesus must go, the Spirit will come. Most of us think, quite rightly, how wonderful it must have been to have lived 2,000 years ago in Israel when Jesus was physically present on earth. Amazing, wouldn't it have been? However amazing and wonderful though it was, in the days leading up to his death, Jesus prepares his disciples for his departure and he tells them that it will be good for them if he leaves them. Why, you ask? Why, they ask. Surely, they'll be bereft of his presence. But Jesus says, I will not leave you abandoned like orphans. He makes them a promise. The promise of another person like him, who he calls the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. In John 16, we read this. Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 7. And as he predicted, a little while... After a little while, their grief at his death turned to joy when unmistakably they discovered that Jesus really was alive. Acts 1.3 says he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive over this 40-day period. And in order that his disciples might be absolutely certain there was no mistake, it wasn't some kind of hallucination that happened one-off, that he really had risen from the dead and to further teach them many things, about the significance of his life and death and resurrection, Jesus stayed with the disciples for almost six more weeks before he finally ascended into heaven to his rightful place of authority. Perhaps the disciples thought and hoped that his resurrection appearances would continue indefinitely. But at the end of the 40-day period, as we come to Acts 1, Jesus reminds them that the promise of the Holy Spirit had not yet been fulfilled. And in order for that to happen, he says he must leave them and return to heaven decisively and finally. So Luke describes, with different emphasis and information, the event with which his gospel, the gospel of Luke, concludes what's called the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Jesus ascends into heaven. After he'd said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, 
the ascension of Jesus is often downplayed. We focus quite rightly on the, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the return of Jesus. But this is an important event in human history and in God's timetable. The book of Hebrews reminds us in some detail that Jesus has finished his work on earth. As we meet here, the man Christ Jesus is seated at the place of highest authority at the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us so that when we pray, we pray through Jesus who is in the place of authority next to the Father. However, Luke's emphasis in his account in Acts is on the fact that the work of Jesus continues on earth through his followers empowered by the Holy Spirit. Although his second volume is commonly called the Acts of the Apostles, it's really one story. The story of Jesus, of which the second volume is the Acts of Jesus through his apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this decisive moment is marked by the ascension of Jesus into heaven. He is taken up, we read, into heaven before their very eyes. Not because heaven is somewhere in outer space or as someone has stupidly suggested Jesus was the first cosmonaut. Rather, it's to let the disciples know that he has finally returned and he will not to heaven and he will not be coming back immediately. And the cloud which covered him is a reminder for every Jew of the Shekinah cloud, as it was called, of God's glory, which hid him from people's sight. I wonder if the apostles remembered a previous occasion when three of their number had gone up another mountain and Jesus had appeared before them. Do you remember the story? Moses and Elijah, it's called the transfiguration. Jesus was transformed. A cloud came over the scene and when the cloud dissipated, there was just Jesus left there. Maybe the disciples thought the same thing was going to happen again. So they stand staring intently up into the sky. But there is no return at this present time. No, Jesus ascends into heaven and the disciples, therefore, are to return to earth as they are told by these two men in white who are angelic beings. Verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. John Stock comments, very wonderful quote. It was the earth not the sky which was to be their preoccupation. Their calling was to be witnesses, not stargazers. But that work of witnessing could not yet be completed because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Jesus had ascended, but they needed the same Holy Spirit who empowered Jesus at the beginning of his ministry when he was baptized in the River Jordan. So the apostles, they can't hope to fulfill their ministry without the help of the Holy Spirit. Not just with them, but in them. And so as Jesus told them, they returned to Jerusalem waiting for the promised gift. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Don't go out witnessing yet. You're not ready. You're not equipped. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the first stage in the divine timetable. Jesus must go, the Spirit will come. Here's the second stage. That is past the first stage. The second stage is this. The Spirit has come, you must go. Ten days after the ascension of Jesus, on the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the disciples are waiting together in a room somewhere in the city. The promise is fulfilled. 
the Holy Spirit is poured out on the waiting disciples. Look at Acts chapter 2, if you still have the Bible open, the opening verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So now, in the divine timetable, the promise has been fulfilled. The gift has been given. In the divine timetable, we live after the ascension of Jesus, and we live after Pentecost. We're the most privileged generation in human history. We are those who live in what the Bible calls the last days. So Peter explains to the crowd who asks, what's going on here? He said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet. And he quotes the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. In the last days, says the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Irrespective of age, gender, or race. Now the same spirit is God's promised gift for all who repent and believe in Jesus. At the conclusion of his message, you remember, in Acts chapter 2, the people say to Peter, what should we do? Notice what he says. Peter replied, this is Acts 2 verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, if you are a genuine Christian, if you have taken that step, if you have repented, turned from your sin, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, then you've received the Holy Spirit, for the Lord God always keeps his promise. If you have not, then the promise is for you, says Peter, for you and your children, for all who are near and all like us who are far off from God. In order to receive the gift of the Spirit, we don't have to go back to the upper room and spend time waiting there. Instead, we need to repent and trust in Christ. And when we do that, God does his part. Our part is to repent and believe. God's part is to give us his Spirit, the promise of his Spirit. But great privileges, great gifts, bring great responsibility. The Spirit has come. Why? Now we must go. That is why the Spirit has given us, to enable us to be witnesses. That's the purpose of the gift. You will be my witnesses. The disciples are told the first place you're to witness is in Jerusalem, right where you are, in the city. It begins on the day of Pentecost. The good news of Jesus is proclaimed to this vast crowd of people who've come for the festival, scattered from all over the Roman Empire, Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. The gift of tongues, the ability to speak languages they have not learned, is a foretaste of the accessibility of this good news to all people, in all cultures, in all languages. And Luke describes in these opening chapters the story of the growing church in Jerusalem. But the disciples are not to remain there with a message just for Jews. And so following the murder of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, God uses a great persecution to drive all the believers out of Jerusalem to fulfill their mission into the province of Judea and in Samaria, as they were told. You'll be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. That's the neighboring province. So the focus of the divine timetable shifts 
from the temple, Jerusalem and Israel to the wider world. And from Acts 8 to 12, we have the spread of the gospel moving out beyond Jerusalem to the neighboring provinces through the preaching of men like Peter and Philip. And then from chapter 13 or the end of chapter 12, the rest of the account of Luke's uh, account of the Acts of the Apostles describes the spread of the gospel as it begins to move out beyond those regions to the ends of the earth through the missionary journeys of Paul. And the book of Acts finally ends with Paul in Rome at the heart of the empire in Italy, in the great city of Rome, and he's still got plans to go beyond to Spain with the gospel to the ends of the earth. And soon the gospel begins to spread out throughout the Roman Empire. At the end of the second century, Tertullian, a great church leader, could declare in his apology this, we are but of yesterday. We have filled every place among you, cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. It's a remarkable account of how the gospel spread as witnesses went out throughout the Roman Empire carrying the good news of Jesus, simply gossiping the gospel. Yet we should not imagine it was accomplished easily. And the greatest obstacle to the spread of the gospel was and is not persecution, but a loss of focus on the mandate to be witnesses. Every step which was taken in the book of Acts, if you read carefully, was accompanied by great difficulty and resistance. It takes a great persecution to drive the believers out of Jerusalem. Without that persecution, they'd have probably comfortably stayed within their comfort zone in the city. But God uses persecution to drive them out. Only the apostles remain in Jerusalem. The responsibility then falls to the ordinary believers who go out with the gospel. And it takes divine revelation and irrefutable evidence from experience to convince the apostles in the Jerusalem church that the gospel is for Gentiles, that the Spirit has been given even to Roman centurions. Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius. So how did they do it? By human obedience and divine empowering. The divine timetable was carried out by ordinary people, disciples of Jesus who went witnessing wherever they went. Now, this is an encouragement and a challenge to every Christian here. Evangelism. You were made for a mission and equipped for a mission. And down through the history of the church, and especially in the present day, there have been periods where the growth of the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ has stagnated, failed to grow. And the reason is always a loss of focus on our mandate that we forget that we were made for a mission. We prefer the comfort zone of our own buildings and our own people. Resting on the false assurance that people can come and hear instead of realising that we have an obligation to go and tell. We say the doors are open, they don't come in. They say the doors are open, they don't come out. And how often we focus instead on our own needs instead of those of others. How much more priority we give to maintenance than to mission. It's a good way to test this. Look at any pastor's diary and any church budget. And just ask yourself, how much proportion of my time and the church's budget is taken up with looking after, quite rightly, those who are within the fold 
rather than reaching those who are outside of it. And when we lose focus, we lose the Spirit's power. Because the Holy Spirit is given primarily to enable us to be witnesses. But when we make witness our priority, then the Spirit's power drives us onwards and forwards to the ends of the earth. It may take in our nation a great persecution to drive us out of our Jerusalem. So, the first stage in the divine timetable. Jesus must go. The Spirit will come. Second stage, the Spirit has come, you must go. Well, you can guess the third and final stage. The third stage is this. You must go, Jesus will come. The final stage in which we live between the ascension and return of Jesus is called by different names. It's called the last days. The last days have lasted 2,000 years so far because that's the way God looks at time the last critical, crucial days in human history. It's also called the day of grace. We live in what's called the day of grace. That means it's the day of opportunity to respond to God's love and favour in Jesus Christ. So the day of grace is, first of all, a time for repentance, a time to change direction, a time to turn to God and to trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I stop at this point and ask you, have you repented? Or are you still going your own way in rebellion against God? On the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter said, you need to repent and believe the good news. Many years after Peter gave this speech on the day of Pentecost, probably 30, 40, maybe 50 years later, people were saying the return of Christ is a failed promise. He's not going to come back. And the same Peter who preached that sermon wrote one of the last letters in the New Testament, Second Peter it's called. And he explains why the Lord has not yet returned. 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, if you're not yet a Christian... Just be thankful that Christ has not yet returned. Because the offer of salvation is still open. But it's time limited. For some reason these last two weeks I suddenly seem to have been rediscovered by Reader's Digest. And you keep getting these letters that say there's a special offer on and you could win a quarter of a million pounds but you must return this within seven days. At the end of that the money will be put in a pot and just think you could have had the money but you never took the jack. Well, you know what it's like, you know. Most of them I throw in the bin immediately. But the offer of salvation is time limited. It's a matter of urgency that you respond while you can. Another apostle Paul writes in his letter to Corinth, As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, In the time of my favour I heard you, in the day of salvation I helped you, I tell you, now is the time of God's favour, now is the day of salvation. I simply plead with you, if you've not trusted in Christ yet, now is the day of grace, now is the opportunity, but it will not last forever. There is a sense of urgency. These are the last days. This is the day of grace. And it is the mandate, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, to tell others about him. For the day of grace is also a time for witness. 
the great commission Jesus gave to his followers still stands. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. Until the very end of the age reminds us that the day of grace will not last forever. Only in this life do we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with friends and colleagues and people who as yet don't know, who are still living in rebellion against God. The angels in white reminded the watching disciples, yes, Jesus has returned to heaven, but this same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him going to heaven. One day, Jesus will return in power and glory, and then the age of grace will end. In the meantime, we still face an unfinished task. Jesus himself said this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The word nations, the Greek word is ethnos, which means every people group on earth. We may think, well, that's really unrealizable in our day, in our society. But believe me, the outlook, humanly speaking, for those early Christians in the first century was far more bleak and unpromising. After surveying the world situation, Patrick Johnson wrote in the last edition of Operation World, and every Christian should have a copy of it and use it for prayer and information. This is what he says. For the first time in history, we can meaningfully talk of the real possibility of world evangelization in our generation. What a privilege, what a responsibility to be a Christian alive today. We have now identified every people group on earth. The gospel is going out to every people group on earth. The mission which I'm associated with, Wycliffe Bible Translators, has a vision that by the year 2025, every person who needs it will have a translation of the scriptures begun in their own language. These are momentous days, friends, that we live in. This is our mandate And so on this day on which we're focusing on evangelism, let's rise to the challenge. For the divine timetable is in place. And God's trains always run on time. Never early. Never late. Don't miss the train. Instead, get on board and fulfill your God-given purpose. Evangelism. You were made for a mission. Let's take a